Johnstone's Barbecues and Parts is a family-run business located in North Vancouver and Surrey. Originally started 40 years ago, 1975, supplying everything from parts and accessories to barbecues, barbecue islands, and outdoor fire pits and tables. The business was founded by Gary Johnstone as an appliance parts and service company. Joining us by phone this morning is Johnstone's Barbecues partner and general manager, Serena Johnstone. Nice to have you with us. Nice to be here. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, you're carrying a big name there. Johnstone is synonymous with barbecuing in this part of the world. It is, yes. I uh, hope I'm earning my right to the name. I became a Johnstone four years ago. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Some people might say barbecue is a barbecue is a barbecue is a barbecue, but I'm guessing you probably won't agree with that. What's trending right now that's exciting in barbecues? So these days, to most of us in in our neck of the woods, a barbecue is is your average gas grill. And I'd say most households have a gas grill on the back deck that they pull out in the summer, do some nice uh, barbecued dinners for the family. But now people are getting a little bit more interested in the whole concept of outdoor cooking and adding charcoal barbecues to their repertoire, as well as uh, fancier gas grills that have rotisserie burners and sear stations and really upped the barbecue game in the last few years. I want to ask you about that. I've been to several barbecue get-togethers this summer, and it seems that not only uh, the propane, the natural gas barbecues are going strong, but as you just said, there seems to be a movement, and I would say it's, it's, it's a retro movement to charcoal. Definitely, yeah. There's a lot more time and care taken with charcoal grilling, so it's typically something that will come out on the weekend. You still have your gas grill for your Monday to Friday cooks, but when you have more time, more energy, you want to entertain, really cooking around the grill can become part of the party. Yeah. Um, is this part of this sort of gourmet movement or this foodie movement that we're in right now? It, people are taking it uh, much more seriously. It's not just about steaks and burgers and fish. There's so much more that you can do. Oh, most definitely. Now, uh, you still have all your sides can be done on the grill. Um, it, it's not uncommon that someone will have, you know, a large cut of meat cooking on their charcoal grill, and they'll still fire up their gas grill to do their veggies or maybe have a chicken on the rotisserie. It really has become uh, sort of a social event, and people are inviting their friends over, really sort of showing off what they do and bringing the entertainment back into the house. Less dinners out, more dinners over. Yeah, and this is a whole trend of making the backyard a much more special place than it's been in the past. And we're going to get to that in a moment. I want to ask you about smokers because these are becoming more and more popular. I know you sell a number of them, but you can also get that same kind of or, or similar effect using pellet grills as an example. Yep. There's um, lots of different ways to get a smoky flavor in your food from uh, you know a simple smoker box you can add to any gas grill. Pellet grills, which are designed to cook with food-grade pellets, so they're using typically electricity to create a nice smoky atmosphere for your food. You're not getting the sear that you get with a gas grill, but you're getting that slow and low smoky uh, flavor imparted into all the different foods. When we talked off the air, I kind of had the wrong impression. So searing would be the, the sizzle that you hear when your food first touches the grill. Ah, okay. The, the, the hotter the grill, the, the more intense sizzle, the more intense crust you're going to get within the sear marks on your food. So if you like to cook, say, a seared tuna or a blue beef, you want the outside to have some nice caramelization within the sear marks. 
mm-hmm. but you want the center to be truly just raw. So you need to achieve a really high heat to just warm the center without cooking it while still getting that beautiful crust on the outside of the food. And a lot of people find or, or talk about how uh, people cook their food till it's too well done. And it could be simply a case they're just looking at the outside and, and they're not achieving that high enough heat to get that real beautiful crust without overcooking the food. Right. And one of the, the problems, too, is that they don't allow for that cooking time after it's left the heat. Oh, the most important five minutes of your cooking your steak is after it's off the grill. It really needs to sit there and rest. It's going to suck all the juices back in, stop them from running out when you first cut into it, and it absolutely will continue to cook a little bit as it is resting. I want you the to know the cut of meat, the little longer you want to let it rest. You are making me very, very hungry right now. <laughs> uh, we have fire pits, patio heaters. Uh, These are things that people must be, uh, or at least you must be seeing a huge demand for these things. Oh, definitely. Um, Patio heaters, when I first started with the company, which was about six years ago, we sold a significant amount of patio heaters, people wanting to just expand their home when they have parties, allow a little bit more extra space for people to be outside. These days, people are really into fire tables, so not necessarily uh, warming an area where someone can just step out to increase the space, but creating a whole outdoor living area. Uh, so you might have you know, sofas and a fire table. Um, some people will put in an outdoor fireplace, really create um, an additional room for the family to live in outside. Absolutely. And are these fire tables, I'm thinking of people with small kids, is, is it a concern for them? Are there any safety precautions that they have to take? Um, so you definitely want to make sure that the little ones can't get their fingers in there. Mm-hmm. So uh, it could be um, as simple as locking off the gas, making sure that you cannot turn, none of them could come along and turn on one of the fire pits. Mm-hmm. And then there's also wind guards that you can get that'll sit around the fire pit. The real uh, intention is to stop your flame from fluctuating with gusts of winds that come by, but they also do a great job of keeping things out of the fire pit. So I'm thinking glasses of wine, little one's fingers, um, <laughs> so the last of the appetizers that didn't get eaten, uh, the wind guard will keep everything out of yeah. the fire. We have a dog for that, by the way. For those <laughs> well, you don't bi- want him in the fire either. <laughs> no, but the little bits of appetizers are great cleanup. One of the things that confuses me, and I think a lot of people, and that's the three letters, B-T-U. Uh, yes. How do we wrap our head around it? How do we know if we have enough, or, or is there some formula that we can apply easily? So the BTU, uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of a misnomer. When people come in looking for barbecues and asking how many BTUs it is, that's how much heat output comes directly out of the burner. Realistically, we're cooking six to eight inches above the burner, and the barbecues have been engineered to deliver that BTU up to where you want the heat, where your food is. So I always recommend people, you know, Think about how hot do you want a barbecue to be, because it less has to do with the BTU and more about the engineering of the grill. Uh, Whoever makes a little tiny portable barbecue that's 10,000 BTU that gets nice and hot, sears a great steak. Um, And they also make a 50,000 BTU significantly larger barbecue that doesn't actually get a lot hotter. Um, They've just been engineered excellently to provide maximum heat with the minimum BTU. Whenever the, the topic, I've got to get this for my barbecue, the, the one name that always comes up is Johnstone. So I take it that's still a big part of your business. It is a, a huge part of our business, and uh, we have a lot of pride about it. We don't sell anything to anybody that they won't be able to fix and, and have for a very long time. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite thing to prepare on the barbecue? Me? 
uh, for sure, hands down, salmon. Oh, um, yeah? Okay. Yeah, you, you can do it many different ways. Uh, the, diff- the different way you cut a salmon will even change the flavor, how it cooks. Yeah. Um, different marinades, you can hot grill it, you can smoke it, um, you can cure it. Lots of different things you can do with it. And Again, it's truly one of my favorites. You're getting me very hungry. So... Uh, a landmark in uh, North Vancouver, of course, uh, for a long time. And your new store in Surrey is about a year old. How's it going there? It's going great. We opened last spring. The first summer was slow. A lot of people were coming in, surprised to see us there. Uh, it seems like people have found us now. We've had a great summer. We're in a fantastic neighborhood here. Uh, it's called Panorama Ridge, and uh, it's sort of near to White Rock, near to Cloverdale, near to Delta. So it really uh, opens our range up to a whole bunch of customers that used to struggle to come to the North Shore. We definitely still get some people in here that say they used to make the drive, and man, are they happy we're in the neighborhood now. <laughs> especially, here. especially if it's a last-minute kind of thing, right? Which g- sure. generally it can be. Uh, Serena Johnson. barbecue oh. emergencies, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you are the good doctor. Uh, yeah. Serena Johnstone is the general manager of Johnstone's Barbecues in North Vancouver and now one year later in Surrey. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning. And I'm going to let you go because it's it's lunchtime. <laughs> All the best to you. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll take a quick break on Vancouver Consumer from News Talk 980 CKNW. Smith is an award-winning certified master dog trainer with an educational background in psychology. She's been training dogs and their owners for over 12 years. Shelley's training combines counter-conditioning, replacing unwanted behavior with more appropriate behavior and positive reinforcements rather than just the old method of reprimanding for bad behavior. And uh, we welcome your calls to her in regard to your dog, your dog's good behavior, bad behavior, and different behavior. Do you have a specific issue with your dog? Or go under the dog, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your mobile. Lots of people have dogs, and more and more people are are taking in dogs as pets. Uh, Nice to have you with us again, Shelley. Oh, I guess I should I should turn you on. <laughs> good morning, Ian. I just turned you on. How do you feel now? Uh, pretty good, thanks. Good, thanks for being here. Uh, when we talk about training, uh, your preference is group classes. So, is this for uh, you? Talk about group classes. Are we talking puppy training or adult training or both? Uh, because I would think that there might be a, a slightly different approach to training puppies and training dogs that are adult dogs. Well, both. Um, you know, for puppies, uh, a puppy socialization class. Um, is a great, a great way to start with your pup. But I run a basic obedience level one, which is for puppies three and a half months of age and up. And I've had dogs as old as nine that, uh, that come in. You know, it just gives you your stepping stone for, or your foundation for, for obedience. Is it hard to recondition, if that's even the right word, uh, a dog's behavior? I'm thinking particularly with rescues. Uh, people bring home dogs from, for, for various reasons. They feel that they're doing the right thing. They want to bring in this pet and love it and, and recondition it, if I can use that expression again. Is that more difficult than training a, a puppy from day one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it just takes a bit more patience and a bit more time. So people need to realize that when they're getting a rescue dog, that they're probably, not always, but probably going to have to put in a bit more work than, say, if they just got a puppy, you know, from a breeder at, at eight weeks. Is that the thing that most people miss, that training 
a dog, whether it be a puppy or otherwise, that it does take some time, some dedication? Absolutely. I mean, people think they call me up for a problem and they think I've got a magic wand. I wish I did, but I don't. Um, You know, you have to put the work in. You absolutely have to put the work in. I'm told that five minutes a day in the morning, let's say, just as an example, I'm not... I'm precluding these times, but five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the early evening. And if you do that on a daily basis, that's probably going to to go a long way. Is that enough? Um, I don't know if that's enough, but you want to keep your training sessions short and have a lot of fun and end on a happy note. Um, You know, if you're going into it with drudgery and, oh, I've got to do this, and you're bored, you don't like it, the dog gets bored, the dog doesn't like it, so you're better off you know, for a few minutes in the morning and then again in the afternoon, you know, work on your, your sits and your stays and or downs and downstays, things like that. Just keep it fun and positive. You get a lot more um, out of your dog that way than, you know, setting out to train your dog for an hour. It's, just, it's not fun for us and it's not fun for the dog. What's more important, getting your dog well exercised to, to maybe calm them down or actually having a formal training session with them? I think you need both. I think dogs need, of course, the exercise. Um, but they also need the boundaries and the rules. They need to know, you know, what uh, what is expected of them. Do you ever see a perfect dog? Does anybody ever come to you and say, here's my dog, it's perfect, uh, what, what should I do now? No, then they're just calling to brag. There's always, you know, I mean, I train with my dog, Magnum, and there's always things that I can uh, improve, improve upon. I still attend classes with him, and he's three, turning four. Yeah. Is there more than one recognized method of obedience and, and manner training? Like, is it like doggy Montessori, or how about uh, canine language immersion? Uh, is there is there a different form for different types of dogs, or do you follow a, a set a set of principles that I guide think, you? You know, it's it, every couple of years. Uh, a training organization will come up with a, a new approach. It's called the California method or whatever, but it all basically is is exactly the same. We're not reinventing the wheel here. <laughs> right. Well, what's the measure of a well-behaved, be- well well-balanced dog? How do you know when your dog is well-behaved or, or well-balanced? And, and I want to go beyond just the, j- the typical jumping up or, or maybe the unruly barking uh, that can happen. Uh, do you have some sort of parameter that we can guide ourselves by? Um, well, the, you know, the dog sits when asked, stays, is not a, a menace uh, to other dogs, to other people. Is just a you know, I think everybody should strive to get on their dogs the good canine citizen uh, certificate. There's not a tremendous amount of obedience. It's just a, you know, sit, sit, stay, handler being 20 feet away for 20 seconds. That's one of the things. I think there's 13 rules in it. But it's just that your dog is a well-mannered dog in public. That's, you know, that's a good indicator. Barbara Woodhouse used to say, a dog should be a nuisance, a joy to own, and a nuisance to no one. <laughs> That's good. So, how does one go ahead? How do I? Can I get one of those certificates? Well, yeah, yeah. You'd have to, of course, train your dog. And every uh, couple of times a year, there's different facilities that uh, that have the testing. So you'd have to go online and and see when the next when the next testing facility is. You know, when it's going on. Is it fair to say that there's a real difference between training your dog in, let's say, the five basic commands than it is to train your dog for uh, competition, agility, or what have you, showing? You see, my method of training, um, I like to get my basics in, and then if I want to go on and, and you know, do more competitive obedience, then yeah. Um, I know some, some dogs that are trained, and they're just ring savvy, meaning they're just trained for the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they're not that necessarily doesn't transfer to the uh, to the real world. I think you need to do both. I think you need to get your basics so your dog knows how to you know behave in public, and then if you want to go on uh, and do the competitive obedience, absolutely. Let's see what Jay in North End has to say. Hello. Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, uh, I just uh, turned it on. I heard you were talking about rescue dogs, and uh, actually we have two of them. What do you have? We have a uh, Chihuahua Jack Russell cross. Oh, boy. Uh, from California. Okay. And, uh, Polly, and we have uh, a dog, believe it or not, from Taiwan. Oh, really? And his name is Ty. Ty. Well, that's original. But, so- uh, and the, I want to mainly talk about Ty. He's a very, very gentle dog. He uh, hasn't, no, he's never bit anybody. But um, he has a strange uh, thing with, with uh, men, and especially me. Like, he growls at me all the time. <laughs> and it's, uh, we've had him for two years. Hmm. We're wondering whether we should get a collar and zap them or oh boy. them with a squirt gun. Or... <laughs> uh, no, that would probably, if I may, that would probably make the growling uh, be a little worse. Okay. So it's all about treats. It's all about pairing something really positive uh, for the dog around men. So you should be the one that feeds the dog um, you know, I do. and Most train the, the dog, and you're making, you know, giving him lots and lots of treats. Uh, so he starts to see you as a as a Pez dispenser for yummy things. Yeah, I take the dog, both of them, for a walk almost every day. Mm-hmm. Well, they probably need more love from you. Uh, not, I, I think that walking is a great thing to do with your dog, but I found from my own experience with my own dog that it's not just walking your dog. It's actually getting down on your hands and knees and, 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 and bonding and loving and all that stuff that goes with pet ownership, and, and maybe that's something that you could spend more time on. I would also recommend getting into a, a positive-based group class and working tie. Um, so he starts to see you as, you know, the, the leader, if you want to use that word. But he also starts to start to pay attention to you. He will stop growling. It'll take I'm, some time. But I'm the wife here, and you know what? I think you're absolutely right. At first, Jerry tried to bond on the ground the way we'd always done with our other dogs that didn't, that weren't rescued, and he got Ty got so fearful. And it was a little too much, and I believe that that was part of the beginning of the of the worry worrisome on his on his part. And Jerry has tried many times to to bond with him, with that really physical kind of getting down to his level, mm-hmm. and it really and truly hasn't worked. Um, we don't know how to kind of repair the damage if there was any down or if Ty is. I can do anything with him. On the, I can do anything with him. I could put my head in his mouth and he wouldn't bite me. Wow. But, but um, it's, it's this, this man thing, and it's not with every man. It's, it's particularly my husband. Your husband, your husband would have to go very slowly here and respect very, the dog. Very, very slowly. And very often he'll lie on the couch and my husband will uh, rub his back with his feet. And I've sort of thought, well, gee, that's a little <laughs> much. And, and seeing his leg come out, sometimes it works with, um, with Ty, sometimes Ty is perfectly okay. With that, other times he's just totally freaked out and he just runs as fast as he can away. So I think you're right, Jerry needs to go slowly at whatever he Very does. Very slowly. And I, wouldn't, I would say to him, don't try to pet the dog. 
um, you know, have the dog come to him just for treats. That's it. So you have to respect the dog's process. It's got to be on the dog's time, not on your time. I'm going to leave it there for the family in North Vancouver. I do appreciate your call just because we're, we're up against the clock here. But Shelley, is it fair to say that uh, they need to go back to zero? Um, I don't know if go back to zero. What I, again, what I would recommend is go at the dog's pace. And see, a lot of times it do, problems don't get fixed because we go too fast. Right. So he has to go at the dog's pace. But getting into a group class where there's positive training methods, no you know, reprimands, um, and just working slowly with this dog. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I think happens is that uh, perhaps our expectations are a little high and we expect too much too soon. Uh, and I lo- also like your idea for uh, for this particular dog that you mentioned, and that is to get into some kind of a group training program. Uh, it would be well worth the investment. It's not that expensive, and it's probably something that would be beneficial to both the human and to the dog. Let's take a break. Uh, Shelly, we'll get you to hang on. Shelly Smith, a certified master dog trainer, is with us. Uh, you got something going on with your dog, or if you just want to boast, why not call us? 604-280-9898, star 9898. If you're mobile, this is Vancouver Consumer on News Talk 980 CKNW. Joining us on the phone is Shelly Smith. She's a certified master dog trainer. If you've got questions about your dog, its behavior, weird things that it's doing or perhaps not doing, Mike was just telling me that he has the, Mike Given, our technical producer, he has the most stubborn dog around. How old is your dog? He's 11. And is it Dachshund? Yeah, miniature Dachshund. And so what? He just folds his paws and says, you know what? Take a hike, buddy. Yep. That's exactly what he does. I'll I'll bet he's your best friend when he's hungry. He is. Yeah. Very much. And when to take him for walks. Shelly, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is this whole concept of rescue dog. Because uh, I think while people are well-meaning, you really don't know what you're getting into. Uh, Is this something that uh, you... Is there a way that you can find out? Is there a way that you can determine what the disposition of the dog might be? The reason I'm asking is I went to a a puppy party yesterday, and among the dozen or so dogs that were there, there was one dog in particular that was a quote-unquote a rescue dog. And I found that dog, it was about four and a half months old, maybe as much as five, but this dog was super aggressive. Uh, not playing nice with all the other dogs. And I mean beyond just a doggy play. This one was really vicious. Huh. It was at a puppy party? This was at a puppy party. How old again was the was the dog? I think four and a half or five months old. Oh, okay. Well, they would, you know, probably not the best place to take that dog. They would need to have a private lesson probably with a trainer before going into a group class mm-hmm. and learn how to re-socialize this dog. The window of socializing, it, that's so important. So if they got this dog, you know... At, at four months, the window of socializing ends at four months to four and a half months of age. So they would need to do remedial socializing. Mm. So they right. would actually, even though I'm a big, I push the group classes, they could probably benefit from a private lesson to learn how to re-socialize the dog with the goal of going into a group class a little bit later on when the dog was more comfortable. At this age, the aggression that you'd be seeing would simply be fear. Oh. From, the, from the pup and doesn't know, you know, the, the social boundaries, doesn't know the, but very easy to, to correct. I mean, not easy like, you know, wave a wand, but, you know, with some time and patience and re-socializing the dog, I think they could bring the dog up at that age. It's, you can correct a lot of things. 604-280-9898. If you have a call about your 
Dog, now's the time to put it in. Star 9898 if you're on your mobile. What about this idea of rescues, though? Is there a way to sort of predetermine what you might be up against before you agree to take the, the dog home? I know with my last dog, it was a rescue, and it's, it was, our eyes met, and we fell in love. And, you know, I know that sounds really silly, and and, and that's exactly what happened. And, of course, so there were a variety of problems that ensued, but not, nothing that wasn't, uh, I would say, remediatable, if that's even such a word. But is there a telltale sign that, that you can maybe look for? I don't think so. You know, some of the rescue organizations will, will be pretty honest with you, um, you know, and will tell you what, what the issues are. Love is not enough. I mean, when you get a rescue dog, you need to put extra time in. For, for the dog. You need to understand that. A lot of times people get the dogs and they think, oh, I'm just rescuing it. Um, and they have the best intentions, but they don't have the time to, you know, give the dog what it needs, which is, you know, extra, extra attention, yeah. extra work. Is it the same kind of training, but just a little bit more time investment? Mm-hmm. There's, no, there's no difference between training a, a dog that you bought from a, a breeder as opposed to one that you get from a rescue. The only difference with a rescue dog is, in some cases, you're going to have to put more time in. You need to you know, get in touch with a trainer in your area relatively soon once you get the dog in so you can figure out how to start changing things, making the dog more comfortable. A lot of times we take a rescue dog out of the situation, but without any training and re-socializing, mentally they're still in that same spot. Yeah. I should add that, that this particular dog that I'm referring to was part of that group in Langley of that 66 dogs at that puppy mill. Mm-hmm. So I, I give these people full, you know, full props for taking the dog on, but uh, clearly there's some things that are going on that, that might need further attention. But uh, we'll leave that for them in another day. Uh, Reno in Surrey is on the line. Oh, hi. Um, I have a three-year-old Maremma dog. Have you heard of a Maremma? Pastore Maremana? Yeah, well, yeah, the Italian sheepdog. Yeah, the full name is Pastore Marimana. Yeah, and... Um, Beautiful dogs. Yeah, mm-hmm. great dog. I I haven't seen many around here, like one or two. But um, so we bring it, so he's a really nice family dog, you know. Um, we'll bring him to the park awfully. She's really good. As soon as he comes home, um, he barks a lot. Like, I know they're known for that, but... Um, part of the problem is, like, if he's inside the house and someone knocks on the front door, mm-hmm. uh, that person cannot come in the house. Like, he's just, he's, he, he's too He's guarding. Yeah. And that's what they, that's what they were meant to do, right? We put them with the, within the flock. It's like six to eight yeah. weeks, and they protect the flock. So he thinks that you're cheap. <laughs> so you'd have to get into some training um, with him. It's that simple. I I've dealt with these dogs before. In fact, I had the almost the exact same case probably about 10 years ago with a dog named Angel, who, well, while she would let you in the house, she wouldn't let you leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, such a large dog. So it's a, just a matter of doing obedience training well, with the dog. I, I, yeah, we've done some training, and, um, you know, years ago, and the one trainer said, you know, do kind of repetition, have someone come to the front door, you know, the person comes in, like, you know, over and over and over. Well, it was... You know, it was good when the dog was young, but now, like, this dog's 100 pounds, and his mm-hmm. wife or my daughter at the door, it's just... Good luck. Good I luck, would, yeah. yeah. How I would set it up is I would teach you to do a, you know, the routine at the door, but without anybody there to start with. You work up to mm-hmm. somebody there. So there's lots of steps that you need to do before you actually do a, 
you know, a thing at the door with an actual person. I would be teaching this dog a beautiful sit-stay five feet back from the door and opening the door, shutting the door, giving a treat to the dog, yeah. holding that sit-stay. And maybe after a couple of weeks the dog has that good solid sit-stay at the front door, then, you know, with the door open, start ringing the doorbell, desensitize the dog to the doorbell. The dog is going to stand up to bark. You're not reprimanding the dog for barking. You're reprimanding the dog just for standing up Mm -hmm. uh, rather than sitting. So you get that good, solid sit-stay. And then after you've done all that work, then you get, you know, a family member to do a a thing at the door. But honestly, get into a, 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 a group class with the dog. You're training the dog around a whole bunch of other people and other dogs. You're getting his focus. You're teaching him what it is that you want. Problem solved. Yeah. Good luck with that, Reno. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. 100 pounds. I don't want to see your food bill. Uh, Shelly, when it comes to training your dog, is there a better time or a worse time to train? Uh, and So that would be time of day and before or after food? Before. There's no, you could train your dog at 4 a.m. in the morning. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter. The dog doesn't, doesn't mind. Um, but I, I like to do, if I'm going into a training class with Magnum, I'll, I probably won't feed him dinner before the class because I want him to work mm-hmm. for that, uh, to work for those treats. Sure. Now, uh, is it better to have the dog worn out a little bit? So yeah. I'm thinking, should you want to maybe run the dog or walk the dog? Yeah, absolutely. And- if you had a puppy, I wouldn't dream of taking a five-month-old. I'm just thinking back when Magnum was a pup. I wouldn't dream of taking him out first thing in the morning and getting him you know, to sit and to stay and to heal and all that stuff before I've run him because you know, he was so excited. So exercise your dog, then do on the way back from the park, for instance. That's when you want to start working on your nice walk and sitting and getting your dog's focus. Stop and buy him a milkshake. Uh, Absolutely. Cheeseburger. Yeah. Hey, so when we talk about the five basic commands, sit, down, come, heal, stand, what, sh- what is the most important of those? Probably loose leash walking. Not necessarily a heel. A heel is a very formal way of walking where the di- dog's eyes are even with the seam of your pants, matching your step, step for step, stride for stride, turn for turn, and sitting automatically. When you stop, even service dogs are not doing a formal heel. Um, the dogs in the you know, competitive obedience, yes, that's a formal heel. But loose leash walking is the most important thing. If you can master that where your dog is walking behind you or beside you and you are leading the walk, all of your problems will go away. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. And and after that, what what is, uh, I mean, because I, I've always thought that recall was probably Absolutely. for safety, if anything. I mean, if you're on a busy street, for example, and you're walking your dog and the dog sees a, a, a I don't know, a squirrel or something or a leaf blowing and decides to take off, uh, you want a certain amount of recall, I would think. I think recall is probably after the loose leash walking or even before the recall command is this absolutely the strongest command that you should have. It's going to save your dog. It could potentially save your dog's life. What is the concept of, of uh, what, what in the dog parlance is soft mouth? What, what exactly does that mean? When you take a treat, I don't want to feel your teeth. Hmm. But it's okay to put your hand in the dog's mouth, is it not? I mean, I, I like to brush my dog's teeth and make sure that I, you know, I've got all the little spots in there and I don't want any tartar or any buildup because I know that in dogs, if you have any kind of gum disease or, or tooth decay, that, that, that can be uh, a very bad consequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's very easy to teach your dog soft mouth. Okay, um, how? <laughs> well, you can, uh, when you're playing with your dog, uh, on the Internet, it's so stupid. It, they have this thing, if you pinch the dog's mouth and say, no bite, 
don't do that. That's the stupidest thing to do. One, the dog does not know what the phrase no bite means. And as you're pinching the dog's mouth, it seems like you're biting. So most dogs, as you're removing your hand, the dog goes to bite your hand in play because he thinks you're playing. What I like to do when my dogs are young is I'll play with them and I'll accidentally put my hand in their mouth and then I whimper like I've been mortally wounded and turn my back on the dog. One, I've marked that I'm hurt. And two, now that I'm hurt, I don't want to play with you. Mm -hmm. All of my dogs have got it within a couple of days. They're like, oh, geez, I don't want to hurt you. And then I maintain it. I mean, Magnum's turning four. I still maintain it. If I go to give him a treat and he's excited and I might go to snap for it, I will do a... And hold my hand away. He looks absolutely shocked. Can you do that again? Let's roll some tape on that, Mike. <laughs> Can you give us that little er er again? <laughs> that, that's very good. Thank you. Now my dog's a little bit stubborn. Uh, sometimes uh, she just she just doesn't want to cooperate. Uh, what am I doing wrong? Surely it's got to be something I'm doing oh, because absolutely. the dog is perfect. Let's be honest. I've met your dog. The dog is perfect. It's absolutely you, Ian. <laughs> so what what do I do? How she's young though, right? So yes, she is, but so she's she's showing some signs thing. of stubbornness, and that concerns me. You know, with patience and lots of fun, continue to do it. She'll get it. She's a golden retriever. They're pretty smart. Yeah, like her daddy. Mm, yeah. So you are you do group obedience classes. I also uh, do private, but I, I do private as well. But I think group classes are you do get a better trained dog in a group class. And and everybody, even if you've got problem dogs and your dog is not ready for a group class, then get, you know, myself or another trainer in to get your dog ready for the group class. Because the group class, again, it's like real life. There's dogs, there's people, there's, you know, a new environment. So the benefits are just astronomical for a group class. I want to be clear on this this concept of socialization. Socialization is is it goes beyond just being a, a good, well behaved dog uh, among people and other dogs. It, this is something that just encompasses the entire behavioral uh, uh, output of the dog. Is Absolutely. it not? Absolutely. Under socialized puppies, will have behavioral problems later on down the line. It's that simple. Your checklist for socializing should be socializing your dog around animals, handling. Noises, locations, people, and surfaces. Yeah, um, I just have one more question, and because this one's bugging me, I'm, can I'm I going to actually say one yeah, thing on social. You can say whatever you like. Geez, thanks. There okay, time's no, up. There is no time limit for obedience training, but there is for socializing. You have till four months to four and a half months of age, and then what? The, after that, it's remedial socializing. Oh, okay. So that's when you start to get the problems. The, the pup that you saw the other day at the puppy party, four and a half, five months of age, they're now have to, going to have to do remedial socializing. Had they got the pup at eight, nine weeks and, you know, done the socializing checklist, you wouldn't be seeing, you know, you wouldn't, probably you would not be seeing the issues that you're seeing with the, with the pup now. What I wanted to ask you about, because I, 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 I want to get Cecilia on the line here in Poco if we have time, uh, but I, I want to go back to this this couple in North Vancouver and their rescue dog. I, I can't help but I'm worried about them. The, the dog isn't reacting to the, to the man, and, and, I, and I can't help, and I'm not putting my finger at him at all, but I can't help but think that this dog was surely must have been abused at some time or something must have happened. Something traumatic triggered this kind of behavior. Is Possibly, that, is, or is that fixable? Just, it, absolutely, it's fixable. Absolutely, and if they're still listening, have, please call me. Because it's a matter of just desensitize. I've, I've encountered this so many times, and people just give up. I'm not saying that that's what they're doing, um, but it's a matter of 
just desensitizing the dog and going at the speed that the dog can handle. So every day, the man doesn't even try to pet the dog. He just tosses the dog treats okay. for a couple of days and work forward. So there is a protocol, um, a training protocol to fix this problem. And if they call me, I can walk them through it. It's very simple. Okay, we'll give your number and your website in a second. I want to get Cecilia from Poco on as our last call on this segment. Go ahead. Hi. Hello, Hi there. This, uh, Cecilia. Um, I have a dog that we uh, got from, uh, uh, well, it was, um, oh, and I'm, I'm stammered right now. Uh, it's a rescue dog. What kind of dog is it? It's a um, black lab rowdy. Okay. And are you having some issues? Yeah, she's been, you know, we kind of uh, socializing with other people and dogs that we're having problems with. But then the other thing is, is when we put her, she'll go, if she's barking outside and I say kennel, she runs right in and goes to the kennel. But How, how, um, old, how old is she? We, she's three and a half. Okay. And now we put her in the kennel and then we have somebody coming, oh, because she has to be in the kennel when people come to the door. But now she's um, barking before they come, like it's an anticipation that somebody's coming. Okay, so you want to try to eliminate that behavior? Yes. Okay, I'm going to just have to let you go with that, Cecilia. Shelley, have you got a quick answer, just because we're up against a break here? Same thing as the Pastore Marimana. you got to desensitize her to the door. So when there is nobody there, you start doing your work, and you work up to people at the door. So, again, teaching the dog a sit, sit, stay, using treats, um, and, you know, making the dog super comfortable around that door before there's anybody there. What is your phone number? Mine? Yes, yours. 778-836-DOGS-3647. One more time? 778-836-3647. And your website is dogtrainershelly.ca. Yep. And you do private lessons as well as class obedience. Mm -hmm. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Why don't we do this sometime again? Yes, let's. Okay, thank you very much. Our thanks to Shelly Smith, a certified master dog trainer. Again, the number 778-836-3647 or dogtrainershelly.ca. This is Vancouver Consumer on News Talk 980 CKNW. Some items on our news list for Vancouver Consumer. Home sales in the Metro Vancouver area for a fourth straight month in June fell. And if you're thinking that's good news, uh, you might not want to celebrate just yet because it's still very much a seller's market. A new report from the Conference Board of Canada says that fell, uh, sales that is, fell 15 of 20, in 15 of 28 markets in the country, including Toronto and Montreal. The annual rate of sales in Metro Vancouver reached 44,688 homes last month. That's a 5.3% drop from the previous month but a 5.1% increase from the year before. Prices remain flat at around $1 million, but are still up 12% from June of 2015. The report also says that sellers' conditions prevail in Metro Vancouver, as well as in Victoria and all of the southern Ontario markets. The Fraser Valley led the price growth in the country with a year-over-year gain of 24%, while price growth is slowing in the lower mainland. In other words, less inventory, but price is still high. Uh, again, that means it's a seller's market. 
As bad as it is trying to avoid the crush of Pokemon Go players who are simply drunk over the prospect of tracking down their digital tokens, imagine trying to (laughs) steer clear of a bunch of players who might simply be drunk, or at least have been drinking. Organizers of the game are trying to set up pub crawls in a number of cities around North America. Already hundreds of people have signed up for Pokemon outings, including major markets in the states like San Francisco and New York, encouraging people to dress in costumes and form teams to track down their electronic critters. We're seeing a lot of that around here, aren't we? Before Pokemon Go and Flappy Birds and Candy Crush, it seems we were all obsessed with Angry Birds. The maker of the game app announced the release of the Mighty League update in the original Angry Birds. The update introduces challenge levels to players, which asks them to compete against average level scores by other players. The artist behind the the design of Canada's iconic Looney, uh, Looney, apparently uh, he was a revered artist, but probably most of us don't recognize his name. Robert Ralph Carmichael was 78 when he passed. His image of that solitary loon first appeared in 1987 when Canada replaced the $1 bill with a coin. Did you save any of those $1 bills? The Royal Canadian Mint says it has struck more than 1 billion loonies. Carmichael died last week in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. McDonald's and Starbucks will be implementing a filter technology that blocks their customers using Wi-Fi from accessing pornography sites. The move follows a campaign from anti-pornography groups that demanded the chains filter out the porn. The National Center for Sexual Exploitation in the U.S. says chains such as Chick-fil-A and Panera Bread already block porn from their Wi-Fi networks. There's no word yet whether this move will be employed in Canada. Craft brewers in this province say a hike in Alberta's beer tax could price them out of the market. Alberta's wholesale markup on beer is going up $1.25 per liter on August 5th, up from the $0.10 small BC brewers currently pay. Ken Beattie is the executive director of the BC Craft Brewers Guild, and he says craft brewers can't afford the cost the same way that large breweries can. He says BC craft brewers will have to see how Alberta beer drinkers respond to the markup, but he expects it will hurt demand. Americans don't get to vote until November, but U.S. election bets are already the most popular novelty betting category on the B.C. Lottery Corporation's website. Doug Cheng with the BCLC says the popularity of putting money on the American presidential race has steadily increased since the agency introduced the online category in 2014. Currently, Hillary Clinton has the edge over Donald Trump with a 2-5 to odds. Trump's odds of winning the presidency are currently slightly under 2-1. to Chang says Trump's chances have vastly improved his odds of 100-1 to in January 2015. There's 325 million people in the USA... And these were the only two people they could find to be president? Just asking. Discover a bug 
Have you ever had a bug in your place and wondered what it was? No, I'm not talking about your nagging spouse. I'm talking about one of those insects, those creepy, crawly things. Ever wondered what they are? And more so, have you ever wondered whether, is that a wolf spider? Does that one bite? Is that one going to hurt? Well, there's a website that can answer that. If you want to know what what the bug is and whether it's dangerous, whatsthatbug.com for a matching photo. If you're still having trouble, you can email them a photo of your bug and they'll write you back and tell you what it is. What's bugging you? Look on the website, whatsthatbug.com. My name is Ian Power. This is Vancouver Consumer on News Talk 980 CKNW.